0: You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team
1: every day.
0: What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, along with your host, James Rapine. Today, we're joined by PFF's Anthony Tresh. Anthony, welcome back to the show. Had you on previously to talk about your plan for the Bengals to build around Joe Burrow. And we're going to circle back to that today after we've got 10 games of pro Joe Burrow QB charting in the books for the QB annual. But in a very timely fashion, you published a mock draft today for Pro Football Focus, which means we have some players to talk about. We have some combinations to talk about. We have some offseason plans to talk about. But I'm going to ask you the same question I ask every guest when they join the show. How's it going? Thanks for being here.
1: Yeah, it's going pretty good. Um, I'm happy living here in Cincinnati That's it's starting to warm up a little bit. Um, <laughs> that, that's exciting. Um, but, you know, life's good. You know, we got free agency and then the draft. And this draft is going to be, a, we say it every year, it's a great draft. It's going to be absolutely crazy. But this year actually is going to be crazy. I mean, there's just so many different talented generational, quote unquote, prospects at several positions in a, you know, a thick quarterback market. It's going to be great. So I'm looking forward to the coming months.
0: We personally can't wait either. Free agency, of course, the first shoe to fall, the first step in the offseason. So we'll have to see how that informs the draft, of course. But in your mock draft today, and you've been hammering this, you've been on a bit of a podcast circuit. You were with Dan Horde, I think, for Bengals.com, the Bengals booth podcast recently as well. And with Dan, you really hammered home the point of positional value, which is something that PFF has written a lot about. And the idea is that wide receivers have a higher wins over replacement, which is a PFF design metric than offensive linemen do. And so for you, you're, you're standing on the table for wide receiver for the Bengals, maybe Kyle Pitts even at, at number five instead of a guy like Penny Sewell if they were choosing from both. And that's really exemplified in your mock today when you have Sewell falling all the way to 11. Is, is that? Am I remembering that correctly?
1: Yeah, and I hate I hated putting Penny Sewell there. So, like, I'm I'm a huge believer that there are five first-round quarterbacks in this draft class, and I am a lot higher on Matt Jones than, you know, a lot of people. I think he's even better than Trey Lance. Um, I think those five quarterbacks are worthy of going within the first nine picks, and I also think the top three wide receivers, Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith, and Jalen Waddell, they're all deserving to be in the top nine as well. So that kind of leaves that one extra spot there for guys like Micah Parson, Penny Sewell. Kyle Pitts, and I think Caleb Farley's going 10 no matter what, and I think that's a good fit for the Cowboys. I would be shocked if they did not pick him there. Um, So that's why Penisul kind of fell out there, and you're exactly right. I mean, they have – you know, if you hit on Jamar Chase – I mean, Penisul is a very safe prospect. I would be – I think the entire football industry would be absolutely shocked if he did not become a very good starting tackle at the NFL level. Um, With Jamar Chase, though, if he hits you know, his upside, like we think he will – um, I mean, he's going to be so much more valuable to the, the you know, we're talking about the Cincinnati Bengals here than Pene Sewell would be. And I know Bengals fans are, you know, they're kind of just shaking right now listening to that just because they saw the offensive line and they just getting flashbacks of the injury. Um, you know, there's opportunity for the Bengals to improve the offensive line in free agency, but Jamar Chase can add, you know, incredible value. I think he could be on a, you know, it's a, it's a tall, you know, it's kind of lofty to say this, but I think he might be, In that Julio type of realm, that's his ceiling. I mean, he could be that dominant at the next level just because there are very few flaws. I don't think there is really a flaw with this guy. And you look at Devonta Smith, too. um, You know, if it's down to Devonta Smith, uh, say the Dolphins take Jamar Chase early and it's down to Devonta Smith or Penny. So I still think it's Devonta Smith. Uh, Really, Devonta Smith's in that kind of same category as Jamar Chase. But really, the only knock on him is the thin frame. Um, but I don't think that's that big of an issue. It has been an issue going against quality defensive backs in college. Um, I still think he's going to have a very good NFL career. And if those those kind of guys, you know, even with Kyle Pitts to match their ceiling, I think the Bengals should strongly consider taking one of them um, over Pene Sewell.
2: When you you talk about Chase, and obviously you're pro Chase, a lot of people. In Cincinnati, dating back to the season, heck, I covered what, when the, the Bengals beat the Steelers on Monday Night Football, there was a a um, sign in the stands that was basically a message to Penny Sewell. So fans have been thinking about him for months because he's been touted as this generational type tackle. When you look at Jamar Chase, you obviously put him in that same class as a prospect. What do you like? What stands out about him when you watch the film that makes you say "Hey, he could end up being the next Julio Jones?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the physicality. I mean, there was not, you know, he went up against some very good defensive backs um, playing in the SEC. Not a single one could go toe-to-toe with him. I think the only defensive back in college football that could have a chance at kind of semi-shutting him down for a game was on his own team, Derek Stanley Jr., who, come 2022, we're going to be talking about the first non-quarterback off the board. That's no doubt about that. Um, you know, his release package, is so good against press coverage. I mean, that's going to translate immediately to an NFL level. And I think, you know, defensive backs are going to look at this guy and say he looks like a seasoned vet out here, Um, you know, compared to some of these other rookies is quite shocking. I think that's what kind of impact he is going to have, you know, at the next level. And, you know, I didn't even mention this too. the cherry on top is that him and Joe Burrow played together in 2019 and they had the best. I would say the best quarterback to wide receiver connection in the history of college football since its inception. You could probably make an argument now for Mac Jones and Devonta Smith from this past season. But I mean. They, they still hold the record in our seven years of grading college football for most deep passing touchdowns and receptions in a single season by a quarterback wide receiver connection. And I know Bengals fans have been, you know, just as much the offensive line, you know, frustrated with not having, you know, a really formidable deep passing attack. I think he would bring that to the table. Um, so I, I think he just really is the whole package. There's just really not a knock on him. But, you know, the, the big thing that I love is just the physicality and how good he is against press coverage.
0: And he was so young when he did it as well. You're right. The, the release package, really strong, incredibly physical at the catch point to the point where he's drawing Anquan Bolden comparisons, except he's probably, I don't know, three tenths of a second faster on a 40 than Anquan Bolden was, maybe two and a half. He, he's a lot faster than Anquan Bolden. He, he's probably got better agility. He's just as hard to tackle after the catch. I I'm with you there on the complete package. We'll see what he measures at. that's going to be interesting. Somebody pointed out that I think LSU had Justin Jefferson listed two inches higher than he actually measured. And if that's the case for chase, that means he's coming in under six foot. It would be interesting to see how that impacts NFL teams opinions of him. It shouldn't right. Because he's dominating at the catch point, including a lot of jump balls, back shoulder throws, that kind of thing over corners that started in the NFL. And he did it when he was 19. So I mean, I'm personally with you there on Jamar Chase. I'm I'm not so close with you there on Devontae Smith. I think he can get a lot done. But I do think that that frame does show up on tape. Not, not a ton. He, he's usually quite good at, at keeping guys' hands off him. And th- there are times, though, when, you know, if you get your hands on him, you can stop him. He's he's u- usually really good at avoiding that. And that's the only place where it really shows up. Generally really good at the catch point as well, which is surprising for for his frame. But let's quickly talk free agency a little bit, because in order to get that deep ball going, I think that, you know, the offensive line could stand to help. You can't get immediate pressure up the middle when you're taking deep shots. That's exactly how Joe Burrow got hurt. It was, it was a quick bull rush up the middle on a relatively deep shot. They they need to get better inside. It's really easy to argue. They need to get better at right tackle as well. You're saying don't do it in the draft, go do it in free agency. And and what would be your your high level free agency plan for the Bengals then before we get to the draft?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think I yeah I think this was one of the biggest points in the article I wrote written, wrote in uh, written uh, my bad uh, last offseason after you know the, it was clear the Bengals were going to take uh, Joe Burrow first overall was they needed to sign Joe Thune in free agency he ended up getting tagged um, but here we are Joe Thune is going to hit the open market um, and you know he, they should bring him home back to the Cincinnati area and give him the bag. I don't care how much it is. You know, they're notorious for not paying guards, um, but do whatever they can to bring in this guy because he's been one of the highest graded left guards since he's entered the NFL um, playing in New England. Um, And they have the cap space to do it. So if you have, you know, Jonah Williams over at left tackle, Joe Thierry, Trey Hopkins, and then two with what cap space you have. Because I'm I'm assuming that, you know, it's Carl Lawson and William Jackson. They're locked up. They're going to be Bengals. Um, that, that's what my assumption is and using what, you know, cap space, cap space they have left going after someone like, you know, um, Matt Filer or Kelvin Beecham, you know, they're not, you know, the cream of the crop of tackles, but they're good pass protectors. They're above average pass protectors, kind of below average run blockers, and they can get the job done and they're going to cost, you know, very, very cheap. Um, if you can get them for a cheap one or two year deal, um, costing a few million and then going in the second round too, you can get, you know, a very good tackle because it's a very deep tackle class. Um, and in the mock draft I've written, I had um, them taking Tevin Jenkins. And Grant, he's, he is a little bit concerning just because of his arm length. He, he actually might kick inside to guard. But I think no matter what, they can't go wrong with him just because, you know, if he doesn't really pan out at right tackle, you still have a guy like Beider or Beecham there for year one and year two, kick him inside. Um, and I think he is going to be a very good NFL player at the next level. I think they're going to get good value at tackle in the second round. Um, And that's why that that also plays into part why I don't think they should take in the early parts there. So, you know, I think my, my biggest fear for them is um, not signing Joe Thune um, just because that's not what they've done. Um, I wouldn't, I would probably bank on them not making a major play for an offensive lineman just because um, it it also, I'm going to be interested to see how much they give Carl Lawson and William Jackson. I think William Jackson deserves it. And I think Carl Lawson's a great pass rusher, um, but I think there might be, you know, an interesting situation there with how much you end up might might end up getting paid at the end of the day.
2: We'll continue to talk draft with Anthony Tresh of PFF. Plus, we'll dive into the QB annual. But I got to tell you about Bet Online right now because the NFL draft's coming up. You have your takes. We're talking about Jamar Chase, Penny Sewell. Well, you can make money with your draft opinions. Go there now. They have all the prop bets you could be wondering or asking about for the NFL draft. Plus, Yeah, NFL's over as far as games go, but the NBA, college basketball, NHL in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, reality TV. You get real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Make sure you check them out right now. BetOnline.ag. Be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, go to BetOnline.ag. You can go on your mobile device, you can do it on your iPad. You can do it on your laptop. It doesn't matter. Just go to betonline.ag today. Make sure you use promo code locked on to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. Anthony, one thing that you mentioned, positional value and the, the tackle spot in this draft, I think it's interesting because there are so many people that talk about wide receiver. And there being so many wide receivers last year, I think people said it. And obviously it was a great wide receiver class. Same thing going into this year's draft. Let's focus on the, not necessarily the positional value, but the value in the draft. Is there a bigger difference between a, a Jamar chase at five versus the receivers that you expect to be there at 38 in the second round? Or is there a bigger difference between Penny Sewell in the tackles that, that the Bengals could potentially pick up in round two?
1: Yeah, I think there's a bigger difference with Jamar Chase. I mean, you know, like, like you said, last year's class, wide receiver class, was considered the best we've ever seen, you know, in the modern draft era. And this one certainly, you know, rivals that. I think there's an argument to be made. It might be even better. And if we were to merge those two classes together, I think it would be Jamar Chase comfortably first ahead of everybody. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, I've mentioned we're splitting hairs when it comes to Chase and Smith, um, just because they're both great prospects. I think Devonta Smith, you know, Jerry, Judy, CeeDee Lamb, they're in that very great category. They're they're rare wide receiver prospects you really don't see every year, but with a guy like Jamar Chase, he's in that generational type of tier. Um, so I, I think just with the value there, you can't really pass up on that if he's sitting there available. And, you know, in the mock draft i written, I actually had Smith going for Chase five, and it's not because I think Smith's better. Um, I think at this point, a lot of people listening can figure that out. Um, it's just more about the comfortability factor, too, if you're building around to a Tungle Biola, he's going to want, you know, his the guy he teamed up with. And so I think that's, you know, an interesting point there. Um, But I I think, you know, if I had to guess what will happen as of right now, I think it will be Trevor Lawrence first, Zach Wilson second. And I really do. I had this in the mock too, and I really do think it will happen. I think Atlanta might trade up from four to three um, just because there's going to be so many teams like the Eagles, the Panthers, the Broncos, possibly the 49ers, looking to get to number three um, where Miami is because Miami's not taking a quarterback. They're going to be calling a lot of people or taking in calls. And I think Atlanta should consider moving up from four to three. And I think they might secure Justin Fields. And at that point, I think Miami would take Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase would be there for the taking. Um, And and I think that would be best case scenario for him. Um, You know, in this tackle class is just as deep as it is, you know, wide receiver is at that position. I think, you know, you can't really go wrong with any of those guys. A lot of these guys that are going to fall, you know, to where the Bengals are picking, whether it's someone like, you know, Tevin Jenkins, we mentioned, or Alex Leatherwood. Um, Samuel Cosme of Texas, if any of those guys fall there, you know, those are typical first round prospects, you know, at that position in any given year, and they're going to be there, you know, early in the second round there for him. So I think they're in a very good situation. You know, it's just whether or not they, you know, execute that and they feel the same way.
0: The amount of tackles in this class that profile to be good at the NFL. I mean, I, I looked at Mike's top 10. You get down to Jackson Carmen and you still have an incredibly high ceiling prospect in Jackson Carmen. And I think he was like ninth or 10th on the list. Sam Cosby is a guy last year that I was looking at. And I think PFF was looking at too as a second round kind of tackle. He goes back. He's a little bit better. And somehow he's still a second round tackle. It just speaks to the quality, I think, of this class. I think either way, if Jamar Chase makes it to number five, that's great news. It's interesting that you think Atlanta's in for a quarterback. And we're not going to talk about the Falcons. This is a locked On Bengals podcast. But I've been trying to figure out what direction I think Atlanta is going to go it for. I've had a really hard time with it because you know, Atlanta is a team. They could still think Matt Ryan can get us there, man. And and let's just get a little bit more, but I'm not sure what that more would be. I don't think that Jamar chase moves the needle for them that much with the receiving talent they already have. Anyway, let's get off of the Falcons. Let's talk Joe Burrow. People love Joe Burrow talking Cincinnati. You know that you're there. You know how much he energized the city. I was going through the QB annual, and there's just so much stuff in here that's incredibly interesting to me. And luckily for us today, we've got both you available to us, Anthony, when you wrote up the plan for what the Bengals should be doing from an offensive approach, and we've got Josh Hermsmeyer, who I think does 538. He put out a a post that he put up last year where he pointed out that the Bengals like to throw to the sideline a lot. Joe Burrow excelled at at LSU throwing middle of field stuff. And I DM'd you about this this morning as I was going through the QB annual after I saw his tweet with, with those numbers, the Bengals are really bad on throws to the sideline, 35% completion percentage, which is like 15% behind the league average. According to his numbers, I don't know how exactly they're defining sideline, but if you look at the heat map for all Joe Burrow targets, where he comes in way above average is on that right sideline in that five-yard area of the field, and he's blue in that short middle area of the field where he was above average in the college ranks. He's throwing a little bit more uh, frequently than average in the middle of the field from, say, 7 to 15 yards, which I like. I think that that does play to his strengths quite a bit. But when you compare that to his college numbers, do you think that the Bengals could be doing more to get targets for Joe Burrow in areas where he thrived in the college game, or is that just more of a difference of this is college offense versus this is pro offense.
1: Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I still think, you know, we, we talked about this last year. I, I was really hoping we would see them in, in uptick in RPOs. And this isn't so much about quarterback skill, more, you know, in between the years. You know, Burrow, he, he took yards where he, he could get him. You know, he executed RPOs at a very high level at LSU. Um, Cincinnati was still around 6%, which is about a third of that of the league high. Um, you know, they're kind of free yards when you can execute them at the right at the right level. And Joe Burrow can do that. I think they should kind of trust him to do that. Um, you know, it's a, it's a little bit different at the NFL level as opposed to college just because of the offensive lineman um, rule. But, too, you know, it kind of puts less stress on the offensive lineman for those types of you know chunk plays there. Um, and then, two, with uh, Joe Brady, too, you know, like you said, he did. He liked to attack the middle of the field. You know, he saw a lot of um, smash drive concepts, high to low, high to low route concepts there Um, I I think they do need to do a better job I think you know too part of it is the lack of separators within the receiving unit but I think a lot of it is on the on the coaching staff there too I had higher expectations for them Um, you know it's just kind of it was frustrating to watch them at times Um, like you said just because it it kind of seemed like they're all over the place and you know we're going to talk a little bit about the first read and next read stuff later on Um, and you know there are some tales that the the offensive scheme and the game plan really was not you know at, up to snuff and not performing to the best of their abilities like they could have.
2: What indicators did you see that were there? Because like I felt that way throughout the year that there were times during that those ten games that Burrow was overcoming and not just the offensive line or AJ Green's inability to run anymore, whatever you want to say, but the 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 coaching staff to a degree why do you say that what made you think that because I think it's something we discussed a lot potentially or here on the podcast and just overall throughout the season was it something statistically was it something film wise what what was it for you
1: yeah I mean there's a few different things there and I, and I do think the offensive line I mean it could have been their pressure numbers weren't I don't think they were dead last in the NFL um they were definitely at the bottom of the barrel they were around 30th and pass block grade but I do think they kind of, Joe Broke kind of avoided that because, you know, when he's throwing downfield and it's a first-tree type of throw, he's throwing, getting the ball out really, really quickly. And, you know, the offensive line's still losing reps, but they're not really getting pressure on him just because he's getting rid of the ball as best as he can because he knows what's coming, what's coming for him. Um, you know, really, it's, it's not the same thing when he's back in LSU and he can move around the pocket very easily. It's something you got to get used to in these NFL defensive linemen. Their monsters are a little bit different than some of the guys you're going to face down there. Um, but when you look at some of like, the scripted plays, Uh, those first 15 plays, they were very inconsistent from an efficiency standpoint. They really were not uh, inefficient or efficient on those types of plays. Um, And two, on the the first read stuff, Joe Burrow actually had one of the lowest big time throws. So we started gathering this data back in 2017. In the four years we've been doing this, that he had the sixth lowest big time throw rate throwing to his first read we've ever recorded. Um, You know, I don't don't think that's solely on Burrow. It's definitely not him on his skill set. I think that more has to do both it's the mix of the, the offensive game plan, um, the lack of consistent separators within the receiving unit in the offensive line. Because like I said, when he's the, when he has when he's trying to throw deep and they want to throw deep, the, the offensive line's losing reps. He doesn't have you know all day to let the play to really develop.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about the, the first read, the look distribution, because that was one of the first things that drew my attention in. We'll dig deeper into these numbers in the QB annual. We've got 10 pages of data on Joe Burrow coming up next. If you're a do-it-yourselfer or you've got a mechanic buddy and you don't take your car into the shop to get it done, you like to buy your own parts and do it yourself, there's nowhere more reliable, there's nowhere easier, there's nowhere with a better selection or better prices than rockauto.com. Instead of going down to whatever the chain store is in your area and paying more money for the privilege of waiting in line to get to the counter, to ask the clerk to look up your car, make and model, and find the part for you. You can do all of that yourself much easier at rockauto.com. You're going to get the same prices for do-it-yourselfers, you listening to this podcast as they charge the professionals. It's a family business that you're supporting if you take your business to rockauto.com, and they're going to have what you need. It's really easy. Go check out all of their parts at rockauto.com. See what's available for your car or truck. And if you buy something, make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com We're going to wrap up here with Anthony Tresh, a senior college analyst from Pro Football Focus. Did some work on the QB annual as well. And let's stay on the look distribution stuff here, Anthony. 76% of Joe Burrow's throws come on that first look. You you talk about the big time throw and I see that. 2.9% really stands out as very low, 3% below the league average, but still pretty close in EPA per play, so still some efficiency there from Burrow, just not the big plays. Really accurate on those those throws as well. What does that tell us that he's throwing to his first read 6 7% more frequently than the league average? Is that just a rookie thing is that not necessarily a bad thing. Could that just speak to Joe Burrow's ability to see what a defense is doing pre-snap? What should we expect with this number? Is it, a, is it a stable number year over year? Does it have a lot of fluctuations? Do we see it higher in rookies? Just a lot of questions there to talk about the the look distribution, particularly the first read.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a it's a generally stable stat, and I think the biggest thing with you know Joe Burrow's rate. Is they, I think it does, you know, we, we've been hammering home the offensive line. I think, again, this is kind of an area where it kind of, you, you can tell the offensive line's not that great because, you know, he did, he did a fantastic job um, all, when he was on the field before getting hurt of working through his reads, finding a place to go with the ball. I mean, actually, when he was not passing to his first read and moved off from it, he was actually one of the 10 highest graded passers in the NFL. Um, so I mean that's very impressive. I mean it was well above anything we saw from Justin Herbert to a single Viola um, and better than what we've seen from the rookie quarterbacks after the last few years. Um, you know, but that being said, you know, he really he didn't really have a whole lot of time on average to get the play to really develop. Um, and, that, and sometimes there were some four stars he kind of had to make just because you know like I, like we were saying, the offensive line losing reps, you know, they were coming for him. Um, and you know, when you're looking at his time to throw going to his first read on those downfield shots, it's one of the quickest in the NFL. Um, I think if I recall correctly, it might be the second quickest and it's pretty comfortable between second, and third there. Um, so I, I think that certainly plays a part in him.
2: So what's the the quickest way to fix it from a downfield perspective? Because I think at least me, my untrained eye, I would say, all right, well, he didn't have a lot of time to throw. So that's part of it. He doesn't have a. Clear deep threat, and we had Brian Callahan on last week, and he said, "Hey, yeah, we we definitely need more speed on offense. It's probably a mixture of everything, but what's the the one thing that Burrow needs to do, or the Bengals need to put around them to make sure they do hit on more of those big plays?"
1: Yeah, you know that's that's a tough debate, and that's when we get back to the twenty twenty one NFL draft. What they're going to do with the fifth overall pick? It's is it the wide receiver or is it the offensive line? Um, and, and you know, I I could be convinced if they don't make any moves in free agency that, you know, Peninsula might be the best pick, but then at the end of the day, I'm still, you know, I'd be still kind of mad at them um, just because, and I'm not a Bengals fan speaking from this, just because they had the opportunity to improve the offensive line. And I think if they just kind of make minor improvements, I mean, Joe Theory's a big get, but make minor improvements too on the offensive line during free agency and get that, you know, deep threat in Jamar Chase, who is a very, I mean, he's, he's a massive deep threat there. You know, I think that would be massive for him. And I think Jamar Chase would probably be the biggest, you know, factor in that. Um, but I, I think those are two – I mean, that's what they got to do. That's the offseason plan. It's off, offensive line and of free agency, Jamar Chase in the NFL draft, and I think they would be cooking downfield um, next season if they end up doing that. Um, you know, I still think it's going to be better just because you're looking at his deep passing numbers from this past year, and they were incredibly bad. Um, and I'm the biggest Joe Burrow fan that's not a Bengals fan on, the, on this planet. You know, they were incredibly bad. There's no way that holds up year to year. It's going to improve to you know, some extent. And it's just kind of whether or not, you know, what they do this offseason in free agency in the draft, like we've been talking about, kind of dictates just by how much.
0: The good news is Brian Callahan told us yesterday that Burrow's pretty close to throwing. So that's something that Bengals fans can be happy about, be happy to know. He's expected to be able to start throwing and they're going to start working on the deep shots. That's something we talked about with Callahan, too. So they're aware of it. Callahan said they're aware of it. They know they need to get better there. It is really interesting when you look at the breakdown of where his accuracy was better or worse because he's killing it on the back shoulder stuff. That's something we knew he'd be good at. He did a lot of it at LSU to the point where I thought, does he lean on it too much? I, for, for me, it almost became a potential flaw, but that translated to the NFL very well with incredible accuracy numbers on the vertical back shoulder stuff. Really poor though on vertical lead and over the shoulder stuff. And you know, you know, you, you go scout Jamar Chase, you put that on, And you see the number of bucket throws that that he's got on tape with Jamar Chase. And so, you know, really easy argument to make there. The chemistry's there. It was productive. Yeah, the corners get better. But Jamar Chase, at 19 years old, beat the hell out of a bunch of guys that went on to start in the NFL the next year. So really easy case to make there for Chase.
1: Let's talk a little bit. And we were talking about you know that connection. I mean, Joe Burrow literally shattered almost every metric in our uh, our database when it came to those vertical throws in 2019. Um, you know, I, I I thought that was noteworthy. He was great on the horizontal lead throws this past year when he's leading the receiver across the field. He was I think he was eighth in passing grade, um, well above any rookie you typically see. But like like you said, the vertical shots just weren't that great this year. It's not because he can't hit them. It's just because it's the the ecosystem he was in was not there. And you know, like you said, I, I think adding that you know connection back would help it.
0: Let's talk really quick about the vertical shots on third down. The most common route that Joe Burrow threw on third downs by quite a bit, by like 5%. 18.4% of his throws on third downs were vertical throws. Now, can you tell how how deep those were? Was he were they taking a lot of deep shots on third downs? Were they just in third and longs? Is that a lot of back shoulder stuff? Because I do remember there are there are a number of back shoulder vertical throws that they had out there. Is, is that a common thing to see that many vertical routes on third down?
1: No, not at all. I mean, not even the side of spit, especially when you have a rookie quarterback. Um, you know, when you pointed that out to me, I was thinking, I was like, that's really interesting. And I went back and looked and I was like, he, he, I mean, the guy, he was pushing the ball down the field on third down, he was incredibly aggressive. I mean, he was actually top three in percentage of passes um, traveling at or beyond the sticks on third down this past season, actually had the third highest rate we've ever seen by a quarterback in the last 15 years. Um, it, it's extremely uncommon. I think the only other quarterbacks that were ahead of him were Andrew Luck and Daniel Jones. And they even beat out Jameis Winston in that metric. Um, and we all know how aggressive he is. Um, he, he, Yeah, and he just really didn't have a lot of open throws created for him. I thought that was a very, you know, interesting nugget in the quarterback annual for sure.
0: And we could talk about those interesting nuggets for hours. Unfortunately, we don't have hours. Let's talk about one other interesting nugget, though, and when you look at the accuracy plus percentage for Joe Burrow, absolutely incredible stuff for a rookie for any quarterback in the NFL really coming in fourth in his nine and a half or so games in accuracy plus, which means that he's putting that ball essentially in the perfect position. if it's if it's a horizontal lead, we just talked about those, he's leading the receiver well enough that that he's running him into space. or if it's a comeback route, he's putting it between the numbers. At the same time, you you compare that to his uncatchable percentage, and that was pretty poor. He was only twenty third in that metric. Where does that discrepancy come from when he's so good at hitting the accurate plus, and then has so many that are uncatchable?
1: Yeah, so I, we were talking about earlier how I mean how bad the deep ball was, and I was alluding to it, it was incredibly bad. Um, if we take out those passes over twenty yards downfield, Joe Burrow's top ten and accurate pa- accurate plus pass rate. Accurate pass rate and uncatchable pass rate. Um, so I mean that kind of really stems around those deep passes, and like I said, that's kind of in a an unstable area um, year to year. I, I would expect that to improve. And you look at the accurate pass rate just across the board um, on those throws of 19 yards or less downfield. And you saw, you know, with the LSU Joe Burrow, I mean, he was deadly accurate. He really didn't have that high that very much high rate of big time throws at all whatsoever. Yet he still graded six on those on those throws 19 yards or less downfield. That just goes to show that he's incredibly accurate, limiting negatively graded throws. And if you take out those pressure dropbacks, he jumps to fourth on those non-deep classes from a clean pocket. And those are the areas you want to see, you know, the, those are the promise, promising areas you want to see rookie quarterbacks kind of thrive in. And that's why I do think, you know, Justin Herbert didn't win rookie of the year. He definitely surpassed everybody's expectations. I mean, I, I sure as I did not think he would have the year he did. But you look at the areas, you know, the stable areas of quarterback play and the unstable areas. Um, you know, Justin Herbert's really not that good in all the stable areas, whereas Joe Burrow is. Um, I, I still think I would take, you know, Joe Burrow 10 times out of 10. I think we're going to look back, you know, 10 years from now and say, yeah, Joe Burrow is definitely the better quarterback than Justin Herbert. And I think, you know, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves when we're talking about Justin Herbert. Um, he should have been the number one overall pick. I, you know, I've seen that a few different times. I really do not think that's the case at all whatsoever. I mean, Joe Burrow did, you know, unprecedented things in a rookie for a rookie quarterback. Um, in a really bad situation and you know that kind of the accuracy numbers when looking at taking out those G passes are are just one of the many examples of that
2: all right so let's throw out the the injury which i know is hard to do but obviously that's something that you can't control we can't quantify right now as he rehabs and hopefully makes a a full recovery here over the next few months what's the the one thing that you your, your biggest concern i guess with Joe Burrow moving forward? Cause you're bullish on him. You think he's, you know, still long-term better than Justin Herbert, but what's the one thing that, that concerns you the most about him?
1: Oh, this is a tough one. I, I really do think that he was, you know, he, I wouldn't say perfect quarterback prospect, but he was definitely up there. Um, I, I still think I would probably take him over Trevor Lawrence, you know, assuming he's fully healthy. Um, you know, I think the biggest concern, you know, he, he's still taking playing with fire sometimes. You know, getting a little bit too aggressive and granted, you know, we talked about it hammered the sum, beating it with a dead horse. The offensive line was bad, but he did play a part in his total, his sack total. Um, He did take too many sacks when he shouldn't have. I think that was one of our biggest concerns, if not the biggest concern when he was coming out of LSU, not necessarily the arm strength, which, you know, I think people are kind of overrating. Um, You know, it's, you know, whether or not he can kind of control that, take less sacks, which I think he will over time. Um, You know, he struggled with that as a rookie, but every rookie quarterback struggles with that. You never see a quarterback really thrive in that quarterback and that stat of quarterback play. You see that, you know, at the college level, with true freshman, you see it at the rookie level. So I think he's going to grow out of it. Um, you know, I, but I still think that's probably the biggest concern, but I really wouldn't be, you know, I hate to label it a concern, but it, I don't think it's you know, that much of one.
0: Anthony Trash, thanks so much for the time. Like I said, could talk about this stuff forever. I mean, I think we've touched three, Maybe out of the 10 pages dedicated to Burrow in the QB Annual, there's just a ton of great stuff in there. Highly recommend all of our listeners go check it out. Anthony, thanks for the time and information.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me on.